0: Praise God. Thanks, uh, thank you, Kristen, for sharing uh, your testimony with us. Uh, John Fong is a great husband for doing that at 1 a.m. Hey, can you um, t- turn to someone next to you and say, I'm really glad to see you. Thank you for being here. You say that to someone. If you're online, um, wave hello, and you can put a comment in the chat box. It's good to be with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we are in a uh, series called Pandemic Proof, and our hope is that as we begin an, a, a new year and as we continue life in the midst of um, just a, a global crisis here, that we would be able to have a faith that endures and a faith that lasts, a faith that is able to withstand the storms and the pandemics um, that come our way in life. Uh, what we've been doing is, is trying to, to, to uh, take our foundation deeper, in a sense, Um, Go deeper and deeper and deeper because no matter how pretty or beautiful um, or nice-looking a building, an edifice, a structure is, it's only going to be as strong as the foundation that it has. You have probably seen pictures of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's the picture of the building that's leaning over in Italy that you have seen probably, but you didn't know what it was called. Um, The Leaning Tower of Pisa, I incorrectly said this in uh, our first service, but um, it's seventeen feet, right, 17 feet off of its plumb line, and every 20 years it moves an inch uh, further away from being uh, completely upright. It's about 850 years old, and um, most scientists are saying this is going to fall down. It's going to fall down at some point. Uh, We don't know when, but the question is not if it's going to fall. The question is when it is. The problem is is twofold, and the lesser problem is that um, this word Pisa means marshy land, and so the Leaning Tower of Pisa was planted in land which is kind of marshy, and so the foundation is a little bit um, weak in that sense. That's not the main issue. The bigger issue, though, is that the foundation only goes 10 feet into the ground, (laughs) 10 feet into the ground for an edifice that is that tall. The strength of a The strength of a building is only as strong as its foundation. This is not only true of towers in Pisa, it's true of the people of God also. What we've been doing is we've been trying to examine how do we get a foundation to go deeper into the ground, into the bedrock so that our faith will not be shaken in the midst of challenges and hardships to it. We saw that we need to know the word of God. That's what Jesus did. Whenever the temptations and the trials came, he said, it is written. You've got to know the word of God. But the other thing is not just knowing it, you've got to obey the word of God. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you build your house on a rock when the storms come, uh, you won't fall. But those who hear the word and don't do anything about it, It would be like a house built on sand that came down with a great crash. Maybe you've been reading the Word and seeking to live out in obedience, but you're like, man, you know what? I'm still struggling. When hardships come, when I get sick, I don't want to think about God. When uh, I get bad news, I don't want to follow Him. I just want to kind of withdraw from everything and everybody. Um, There's more to it, to building a foundation. And we've got a few more weeks left, but today what I want to do is talk about how we can take that foundation deeper um, in a very practical way. I I hope all of this is practical but you know, you know stories like this where, I, I don't know, if you're a high school student, middle school student, you got friends who are in your Sunday school class, you got friends in, in your youth group with you, youth ministry with you, um, maybe you're an adult and you've got people in your house church with you or people that you uh, went to college with or whomever it was went to church with um, and they just, you know, you, you got along really well. They loved the Lord. They loved reading the Word. They loved seeking to live it out. You guys met together all the time on Sundays and Saturdays and during the week and all that stuff happened. And then all of a sudden, you get the news that they're leaving. I'm going to move. I've got a new job, or I've got a new opportunity, or my parents are calling me to go back to live with them, or um, they're going to college, right? Something happens where they've got to leave, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. That's too bad, and we're going to miss you, and you cry, and you hug, and they go their own way. A year goes by, two years go by, however long goes by, you keep in touch on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever it is, and you see the things they're doing, and you're like, hey, you know, that's life, and you lose touch. Fast forward two, three years, and they send you a message They're like, hey, uh, miss you, want to come down to visit you in Orlando, want to visit everybody, want to visit church, and you're super excited. And so you rekindle a connection. You start talking with them, start communicating with them, start emailing or texting and, and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, what are you going to do? What do you wanna, where do you want to go? And as you're talking, you realize that there's something a little bit different about them. Something different from the way they were when they left. Because you've got all of these things that you're excited to talk about. You're excited to talk about your new SNF small group. You're excited to talk about what's going on with your house church. And they were part of it. And then you guys have multiplied. And all these people who didn't know Jesus are, are coming into it. And, and as you're talking about it, you're so excited. You're like, man, I'll tell you more when we get together. You're super excited to tell them about all the things that God has been teaching you and showing you throughout the pandemic and through this hard year. And you're like, man, I can't wait to be together. And they just seem a little bit cold and, and stoic and standoffish. And when they come, and as you get to talking, you want to hear what's going on in their lives, and they don't say much about anything spiritually, but a lot of stuff about work and about school and about money and about things that are important but secondary to what really matters. And as you tell them, hey, um, here are some things I've been learning. What's been, what's been going on? Where are you going to church? And, and then therein lies the difference. They say, well, once I moved, uh, I couldn't find a church. I looked for about six months. I looked for about a year. I went here and there, here and there, but I, I couldn't really find a church. And so uh, I stopped going, hey, you know, we, have, we can do, you can worship online with us. Yeah, I, I do that now and then, but, um, but in terms of me finding my own church, it's not something that's happened. And you, you realize, wow, when they left, when they left here, they had no intention of four years later not walking with Jesus anymore. They had no intention when they moved that they would continue to, uh, uh, that they would not continue to be following the Lord. They had, they had no, no idea that life would be so different when they, well, what was the challenge? What was the problem? Well, it's what the Bible always tells us. And this is what, something we talk about uh, to parents and something we talk about to our graduating high school students. We say this often, that the most important thing when you move and you relocate is that you know, not that there's a better paying job or a higher ranking school, but you know that there's a community with which you're going to grow in faith. Otherwise, I mean, you, you might have heard these, these stories like this, you got a, a bunch of, uh, you got a campfire and you got a bunch of sticks in there and you take one stick out and you put it on the ground, very quickly that fire is going to die out. But as soon as you put that stick back in the fire with other sticks, then the fire is going to burn again. But when you're isolated, isolation is the next step to destruction when it comes to our spiritual lives. We can't do it on our own. And so you need to know that wherever you go, there's going to be a community of faith that's going to walk with you and grow with you. Man, you cannot overestimate that. You cannot understate that. Like, you've got to know that there's, I'll find one when I get there. No, you've you, you got to know. You've got to know that there's going to be a place before you make any major decisions. That's why you've got to bathe these decisions in prayer. What I want to talk about today is extremely simple. It's our need for community if we want to stand in the midst of hardships in life. We're going to look at Hebrews 10. Um, I'm not going today, again, I, I don't think, in, in this whole series, um, I don't believe there's anything new. You know you got to read the Word. You know you got to obey the Word. You know that you've got to have a community. I just want to stir up through a reminder and rekindle what you already know, but hopefully in a way that causes you to say, yeah, you know what? I'm, you're diagnosing where my, where my heart is at, and this is what I need. We're going to read Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. We don't know everything. In fact, there's not much we know about the book of Hebrews. Here's what we do know. We don't know who wrote it. <laughs> we don't know when it was written. But it was written by somebody before the year probably 90 A.D. He was writing to Christians who had grown up Jewish, right? not only ethnically but religiously Jewish, who had believed in Jesus as the Messiah and left their Judaism behind to become followers of Jesus and became Christians, and they were going through persecution. It may have been persecution from their families or their back people in their, their old Jewish lifestyle who say, come back, you don't need to go to Christianity. Or in the Roman Empire, the persecution that was breaking forth against Christians was causing them uh, to feel that persecution. Whatever it was, uh, Hebrews was written to Jewish ethnic people who had left that religion behind to follow the Messiah, Jesus to believe the gospel is good news and to become Christians and they're facing persecution. So Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to read verse 25 one more time. This is God's word. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God... Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who professed is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 25 again, let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's Word. So what's happening and what do we see? Two thoughts here, super simple. Here's the first thing, in hard times, many things will pull you away From community. When things are hard, there are going to be a lot of things that pull you away from community. For the Hebrews, it was persecution. For us, it may be pandemic. It may be comfort. It may be work. It may be a million different things. But when things get hard, many things are going to pull you away from community. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to draw into it or are you going to pull from it? In hard times, we'll either run from community or we'll run to our community. What's your tendency <laughs> when things are hard, when things get difficult in life, when you break up with your boyfriend, when you lose your job, when you're sick, when you just don't feel like getting out of bed, when you don't feel like talking to people because of what's going on at work or school? Is your tendency to draw into the community and say, I need help, or is it to withdraw and say, you know what, I'm, I just need to be alone? What's your tendency? Because we can go in one of two ways. Uh, Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr.'s, the day we remember as his birthday. It is his birthday, I suppose. It's his day. And if you haven't yet seen a movie called Just Mercy, um, starring Michael B. Jordan, Killmonger, uh, it's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie and a great way to understand the heart of justice. Especially from one who is a follower of Christ. Brian Stevenson, a uh, devoted follower of Jesus, has talks with Tim Keller on, on YouTube. Um, but if you're off tomorrow and you're like, hey, what should we do? Um, yeah, Just Mercy would be a wonderful movie to watch. It's basically about a guy who studies Harvard Law, I think, and he gets a, a law degree, and then uh, he could go anywhere to be a, to be a lawyer, African American young man, but he goes into the deep south. Uh, to do work for, I, I think most of it is like pro bono, which is like free work, um, working to help African Americans on death row who are unjustly tried and sentenced to death and to give them a fair trial. In the movie, um, there are it just, I mean, they're, they're, they're different stories, um, but one of them is the story of a man named Herb, Herb Richardson, and he has, uh, was a veteran in the war. Um, got some PTSD, and after this girl broke up with him, he um, set off a pipe bomb. It exploded, and it killed his, his daughter. Um, so he was sentenced uh, to, 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 uh, to death, execution, uh, electric chair. And all these different people's stories are being told, and this is one guy, Brian Stevenson, tries to, to, to free him from that sentence, but he couldn't, and so um, he gets executed. It's powerful. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It's tragic. But as these men in the prisons, like you, I don't I don't know. For for me, prison would be would be a hard situation. And there are a lot of people who get hardened by it and say, you know what? I don't need anybody. If you've watched Cobra Kai season three, there's a kid named Robbie Lawrence, Johnny Lawrence's son, and he goes to juvie, right? He goes to juvie, and and in that place, like, he's like, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. So he gets beat up by the people who are in groups of communities. He gets beat up all the time, and he's like, I don't need anybody. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you, Daniel. I don't need you, Dad. I don't need anybody. And then there's Herb Richardson and his friends who find some kind of commonality in the brokenness of life in prison. And in this one powerful, powerful scene where he's being marched to his execution, as all of his friends were there, they formed this community of people who say, we're, gonna, we're, we're in this together. We're in this together. And there are some who say, you know what, I don't, I don't need you, I don't want to be with you. But then there's others who press into the community because they realize in hard times they need each other. And a million different things might be pulling them away, but Herb is one of the guys who press into that community. And he's walking to his electric chair. He's a man of faith. He prays, sings hymns with Brian Richards and his lawyer. And as he's walking, you hear these different inmates. And they all take their metal cans and they start clanging it against against their prison cells, against the prison bars and making all kinds of noise. And they're saying, you can do it, Herb. Stand strong, Herb. We're with you, Herb. We're with you. We're with you. We're with you. You're not going alone. You're not going alone. It's this powerful, powerful image of how in the midst of the hardest moments of life, he's able to stand in that last moment because he's got people who have formed a community with him in his times of need. Where do you go? What do you do when hard times come, when your heart is tempted to become hardened from the people who form your community? Where where do you go in the midst of hardship? Because when hard times come, there will be a million different things that pull you away from community. Again, for the recipients of this letter, it was a persecution where, quite frankly, guys, listen, if we tell people we're Christians, our life is on the line. We're risking our lives. It's not, if it's not death, it's, it's the, the kidnapping of our family. It's, it's being put in prison. It's the confiscation of our property. It's the burning of our home. It's, it, there's, there's all kinds of risk for coming out and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, So many different things will pull you from community when things get difficult. And what the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 25, he says, don't do it. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In hard times, you're going to be tempted away from community, but it's the very thing that you need when things get difficult. What do you do? Where do you go? Do you go towards community Or do you go away from it? There are a million different things that might pull us away. As we've been in this pandemic, I've talked to friends in in California, and they say that uh, we haven't met in person outside of some drive-through services since April, March. In in, in California, if they meet indoors like this, they can meet, uh, I forget what the max is right now, maybe 25 people, but they can't sing. And if they want to sing, they have to meet outdoors. They have to meet, they have to meet in their cars. And I can't imagine what that would be like for us to not be meeting since last March. And here's the other thing. Here's a kicker. They said because of what's going on in California, we are planning to remain exclusively online until the fall. Right? That's not, we're in January. That's September. So for eight months out, they're completely pivoting everything. they say we're not going to meet together like this. That's out of necessity, but can you imagine doing that out of volition? Like that we would choose to not meet together? It's not persecution for us, it's other things. Okay what is it for us? I'll tell you a big thing for us: It's, it's comfort. Isn't it comfort? Talking to people here, it may not be because you're here. You're like, I got out of bed and I came. And listen, let me tell you who I'm not talking to. I'm not talking, there, there's some people who, who choose to worship online. I'm talking to you worshiping online, who choose to worship online because you're at risk. And You don't go anywhere. You don't go to Publix. You don't go to Walmart. You don't go to the restaurant. You don't do anything like that because there is risk and fear of a virus, Okay, that's understandable. I don't want you to have a conscience bound and say, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to die if I come or, or get sick if I come, and I, but, I, but you're making me come. That's not what I'm talking about. Nor am I talking about people who feel like out of love for neighbor, I'm not going to come because I work with high-risk people or I live with high-risk people, and I don't want to put anybody else get risk. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's who I'm talking to right now, and here's what I think the book of Hebrews is writing to. Okay? It's people who have no problems putting on their mask and going out to the store. Have no problems putting on their mask and going out to eat at a restaurant that's not socially distanced by tables. Have no problems putting on their mask and going out and hanging out with their friends. But <laughs> when it comes to Sunday morning, you say, I don't, I don't want to come. It's too, it's too risky. I can't do that. To people like that, I would speak very clearly and read the words of verse 25 again. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Maybe some of you are here for the first time, and I would have been speaking to you yesterday had you not come today. And you know in your heart, it's out of comfort, convenience, it's much easier to roll out of bed and turn on YouTube than it is to come in person. But here's the challenge, isn't it? How does this happen? Well, it happens very slowly. It happens with the pandemic. We have to go only online. And so you worship online. And then once we say, okay, we're regathering now, begin to think to yourself, you know what? It's the same service. Everybody else was doing it like this for two months. It's the same thing. I can just, I get all the information. They even email the bulletin to us. I don't need to come anymore. In fact, it's much nicer to worship in my pajamas than having to get my clothes dry cleaned every other week. It's much easier to be able to worship while I've got my coffee in hand rather than fearing judgment that I brought coffee into the congregation. And then one week becomes two, and one month becomes two, and two months becomes three. And all of a sudden, when at first you really begin to miss the community, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I don't miss it that much anymore. I don't miss it that much anymore. How does this happen? Happens very slowly. How does it happen? It happens one week at a time until it becomes a habit. And we've become accustomed. Just like some of you who work from home, you say, I could never go back to commuting to work. Same thing happens when it comes to community of faith. And the, and the challenging thing is, and, and I think here's a challenge, because... It, You have tasted the goodness of community because you know how good it is to be with the people of God and how different it is when you're worshiping on a screen versus worshiping. You've you've tasted that. You've tasted of what it's like to go into house church with the heaviest of hearts and leave feeling like you've been given new wings to fly again because you shared that which you thought I could never share. Now you found strength to live again. You come into the, the congregation and the very thing that you needed to hear, you hear, and you feel like, man, God really knows me. The very song that you needed to sing, that you'd been thinking about, but you the, the idea, but you could not put words to it, were sung, and you feel like, man, I feel like my heart is connecting and understanding again. The tricky thing is for those of us who've experienced that, the beauty, the blessing, the benefit of community, now perhaps after a while, once it becomes a habit of not meeting, you can only think of the cost. And that which once was a delight to you, now feels more like a duty. You've tasted it, but you haven't tasted it for such a long time that you don't want to taste it again because you think it's too costly. My wife Olivia knows what this is like. Having tasted the beauty and then forgotten so that that which was once a delight became a duty. For about a couple weeks, there were times where I would go into the kitchen uh, to bring food, get food uh, for Olivia super excited because nobody, I mean, you don't want to eat food by yourself, right? Unless you're not allowed to have it and you sneak it in, like uh, sneak in, like some, some of our, one of our kids likes to do this, like sneak into the candy jar and get gummy bears and then, you know, whatever it is. Uh, that's, that's the only time it's fun is when it's forbidden, but you want to share in the blessing of a great meal with somebody else, right? You don't want to do that by yourself. That's kind of like, it's, you want to share in it. That's human nature. And so I would get something or see something in the kitchen or see some food and say, Olive, let's eat. This is your best coffee, Han coffee. This is amazing coffee, like roasted and brewed by, roasted by, you know, some of our church members and goes to a great cause. You want this coffee? Or Olive, we've got this like great new like uh, gummy bears, Haribo gummy bears. Do you want some? Or uh, Boba, do you want Boba, like your favorite kind of Boba? Or fa, your favorite food to eat? But for like two weeks, Olive's like, I don't want it. I was like, what? But this is your favorite. You love coffee. You need coffee. Like you breathe coffee. You bleed coffee. This is this is everything that you want. She's like, I don't want it. I was like, what in the world? She's like, you go ahead and you go ahead and have it. Ice cream, what about ice cream? Chocolate. You want chocolate? I don't want it. You go, you go ahead and I don't want to eat it. Like, that's miserable for me to eat while you're not eating. I was like, what has gotten into you? And then I remembered, oh, it's coronavirus gotten into you. And so you can't taste anything. You can't smell anything. She lost all of her sense of taste and smell for about two or three weeks, and it was miserable for me because I couldn't eat anything without feeling bad, but it was miserable for her because she couldn't eat anything without feeling good. That which was once so delicious, so delightful, now became a mere duty because to her credit, she would force herself to eat three meals a day because she needed the strength to live and do the things that she needed to do But she wasn't enjoying any of it. She did it because she had to, not because she wanted to, not because she loved doing it. And maybe for some of us, either here or online, that which once was such a delight has now become mere duty to us. Do I have to come today? Do I need to go today? If I go, can I just sit and look at my phone and watch football games or whatever it is? Do I I need to? Do I need to pay? That which once was so wonderful has now become a duty, a burden, because you don't see the benefits as much. You only think about the cost. It's the way it was with the church that the author of Hebrews was writing to. You know what? There's too much risk, too much cost. That's just, my my relationship with God is personal anyways. I just keep it personal. Personal does not mean private, right? Personal can be your own, but it's still deeply communal and corporate. But sometimes we forget. And the author of Hebrews says, don't forget. Let's not. Please don't. Please don't. Give up meeting together, not only on Sundays, but in your house churches, for SNF, in the accountability groups that you had a while ago. Don't give up meeting. The reason others have, because it slowly became a habit for them. I was reading this week, there was a, a, a songwriter, hymn writer, maybe like 100, 200 years ago named Francis Havergal. I, actually, I don't know when he lived. I don't even know if it's a he or she. Francis, I guess, could be either or. But Francis Havergal wrote this piece. One morning, uh, Francis woke up, and it was pouring rain outside. It was Sunday morning. Pouring rain outside. I'm going to assume it's a he, um, just because all the, all the things that I, yeah, I, I think it's a he. It's pouring rain outside. He's about to go to church on Sunday morning, and he says, eh, you know what? Maybe today I won't go. It's raining. God will forgive me. Maybe I don't need to go today. And then he thought, you know what? I don't think that's the right attitude. And so he began to write a list of reasons why he ought to go to Sunday worship with the community. Because they didn't have online worship in the 1800s, 1900s. So he said, "What what, what, what are the reasons why I should go? And so he said, well, the Lord God blessed this day, set it apart made it holy, and in the word he made no exceptions for rainy days. So Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them in their midst. That my pastor is going to be there. I don't think he would stop going because it rained. I want to be there to support him because he's counting on me to be there as I'm counting on him to be there. He said, if I don't go, I'll miss out on the prayers that are being lifted up in the church that would strengthen my soul. If I go, there's a message that I need to hear that I probably wouldn't hear, that I wouldn't hear, that could strengthen me, that could change my life. I need to go even if it's raining because I love Jesus. It proves my love for him. If I had a date and it was raining, I wouldn't call it off just because it was raining. And Jesus is of greater worth and value than anybody in this life that I could love but an important business meeting, a meeting that was important to me, I would still make it out in the rain. And to God, worshiping with the body is more important than any other kind of meeting. To those who skip out church on rainy days typically find reasons to skip out of church on fair weather days, also, and I don't want to start down that path. I don't know how many Sundays left I'll have. What is your life? A <laughs> that vanishes, it's here. And gone. I don't know how many Sundays I've got left. I don't want to compromise on what could be the last Sunday of my life and this would be poor preparation for eternity if I decide to stay home because it was raining. There's someone at church who might need to see me for some reason and my life could be a blessing. Today. You could go on and on and on and on and on. What pulls you away from worshiping God with the community. Is it rain like some people? We've, like we've got cars that take us, and for the majority of our trip, we're covered. We can bust out an umbrella and walk. The only thing that might get wet our umbrella, maybe our shoes. And we come into a covered worship room. A million different things will pull you away from community, especially when life gets hard. But don't give up meeting together as some have become in the habit of doing. It's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see, and again, this is super simple, the second thing that we see in hard times, you need community more than ever. It's when things get hard that you need people more than ever before. I know you probably know that. But our hearts will not want to believe that sometimes. When I'm going through a a dumpster kind of week, I don't sometimes, actually, I don't often want to see people. I don't often want to come and and tell them what's going on in my heart, my sinful life, my broken situations. I don't often want to do that but it's when you want to do it the least that you probably need it the most. Haven't you been in times like that where you didn't want to do it, you didn't want to go, and somebody's like, dude, you better I'm coming to pick you up because you need to come. Maybe that's you know, your spouse, a leader, a house church shepherd. I, just, I don't think I can wake up. I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you and I'm going to wake you up and I'll be there in order to get you there. So there's no reason, no excuses. What do you do? Because here, here's the thing. When, you, when it's hardest to meet with community, when you least want to, it's usually when you need it the most. He says here, let me, let me tell you what happens. Because the, the temptation for us is going to be to think about all I have to give up in order to be with the community and to forget the benefits and the blessings that come once I'm there in the community. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times it's been hard for me to want to go to a gathering. Okay, this is I'm not talking about like. Uh, throughout, my, throughout the, the entirety of my life. There are times where I didn't want to go to church, didn't want to go to my campus ministry gathering, didn't want to go to small group, didn't want to go to house church, didn't want to go to youth meeting, whatever it is. You fill in whatever community of faith that is, gathering it is. A lot of times I didn't want to go, but it's those times when I didn't want to go that I always end up leaving saying, you know what, I'm so glad I went. You have times like that too, right? Oh my gosh, I've got final exams on Monday. I don't want to go to SNF, but you go and you're like, man, it was so good for me to be there. I've got college applications and I don't want to go, but I'm gonna go. And and you go and you're like, man, it's exactly what I needed. Today it's just like my, my schedule is so hectic. I should cancel this. Uh, my I should cancel hosting house church gathering, but ah oh, man, I think it's too late. And you go, and it's everything that you needed in that moment. It's when things are hard, when times are hard, that you need community more than ever. But we often forget the benefits and the blessings, and the cost becomes that much bigger. And then it becomes easy for us to say, you know what, I'll just just skip out this time. But here's what Hebrews says, okay? This is what happens when we gather. In verses 19, 20, and 21, it says, this is what Jesus has done for us, okay? This is why Jesus is awesome, talks about what he's done. It's basically the gospel. And then in verse 25, it says, hey, here's what we need to do. Let's not give up meeting together. And then in the middle, uh, verse 22, 23, 24, tells us why we need to meet. What happens? Here's what we see. Verse Verse 22, let's draw near to God. Verse 23, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's what he's saying. Okay, when you gather as a community, whether that's here uh, on Sunday, whether that's in house church, in SNF, three things need to happen. Three things do happen. Number one, you draw near to God. Number two, you find hope again. And number three, you encourage and are encouraged to do what's right, love and good deeds. What, what does that mean? Let me, let me break this down. I, wanna, I just want to push this foundation deeper so that we understand what God is calling us to. He's not just telling us, hey, I want you to go and, and, and meet with people. He's saying, Here, here's what happens. It says, let us draw near to God. When we gather in community, we have an avenue whereby which we can draw near to God. In other words, whenever, whenever your small group meets for SNF, whenever your house church meets, whenever we gather as a people of God, whenever we have 201, 101, whatever it is, whenever the people of God gather, here's what's happening. We're drawing near to God. Can we not, like, minimize this and not gloss over this? When you gather, like, right, like, what we're doing right now, we're drawing near to God, the Holy One, the perfect one, the object of our love, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, who gave his son to die so that we might be his children. As we gather, we're drawing near to God. By default, what that means On the other hand, is when we don't meet in community, we are drawing away from God. We're missing out on opportunities to draw near to God. Throughout this pandemic, we've had people from out of state come and, and worship with us and, and they said either before or after, they said, hey, you know what, DL, or uh, hey, you know what, pastor, you know, whatever it is, um, we haven't been able to meet in person for months, for weeks, for a long, long time. This is the first gathering that we've had. We, I, I can recall at least three conversations with people who said that, uh, and this is the first one, either before the fact or after the fact, and when we talk afterwards, they're like you you have no idea i had no idea like how much i was missing out on by just worshiping online i thought that was good but just being in the presence of other people is a completely different thing it's a completely different thing one family said out of uh, i don't know how many of them but but two of them uh, dad and his his kid saying from the first song just Tears were coming down our faces because we realized what a blessing it was for us to be here in community with other believers. We draw near to God. There are times where when I I tell our praise leaders, hey, here's some songs, and and then we coordinate, and then uh, I, I get the final set. Whenever I get that set, I go through it in my mind. I, I listen to it on Spotify as I'm driving to, 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 to here on Sunday morning, thinking through it because I want to get my heart in the right frame of mind to worship. And those songs always minister to my soul. But there's a different reality when we come into the gathered, gathering of saints. We sing the same songs. And there's like a powerful, powerful, uh, just an, an outflowing of God's presence that's different. It's not, it's, not, it's not better one or the other. We need both. Right? You need your left hand and you need your right hand. Your left hand is personal devotion. But you also need public gathering as well of worship. You need both. There is a dynamic that happens when I hear songs of worship in my own room, on my computer, in my car as I'm driving to worship on Sunday morning. There's a dynamic that happens there that this cannot replace. But there's something that happens here that I, I cannot experience that kind of tangible presence of God if I was not in the gathering of other believers like we have here. When you gather together, there is a drawing near into the presence of God. that you. And every time you get, when you're, I, can, I don't know how, I wish I could like, like osmosis and, and download this into your heart, that when you lead house church, It's not just a gathering. It's, man, we're drawing people near to God when we do this. That's what you do each week. That's the privilege and the blessing that we have each week is to draw into the presence of God together. Not only that, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In the midst of hard times, you need to draw near because in hard times, oftentimes, we can begin to feel like there's a a dying of hope within our lives. Before the pandemic, I read this that said 70% of news. I don't know how they they curate this information, but anthropologists said 70% of the news that you read is negative news, okay, bad news. I'm certain that within this pandemic, there's more bad news that we're reading. In the midst of all that's going on in our world, we're constantly being bombarded with bad news, and that spreads faster and faster and faster through the social media cycle, Here's what, uh, here's what scientists said, that when you read or you hear negative news, the neural firings in your brain, right, the things that fire off in your brain are different, at, are active at different rates and different ways than when you hear good news. They're saying, when you read bad news, your neural pathways are being rewired and redesigned. In other words, here's the upshot. The more we read bad news, the more our minds are being programmed to a despairing and hopeless outlook on life. That's why so many people are so depressed and discouraged. The more time we spend on social media, the more that happens. We're a world in desperate need of hope. And the writer of Hebrews 2,000 years ago says, in the midst of hard times when things feel hopeless, here's what you got to do. Don't give up meeting together because the church... The community are the purveyors of hope to a hopeless world. You need this hope. You need to gather. You need to gather. I cannot tell you how many, I mean, Kristen made mention of it, but within house churches and each time we have gatherings and I meet with people and and, and they share their prayer requests and let's pray about these things together. The next day someone comes back and they say, you know what, these things that we were praying for together, like here's how God answered them. Hope which was lost brought into the community, now stands renewed. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's the hope that we have when we gather together as the community. That's the hope that we have when we come together as the people of God. When you gather, not only do you draw near to God, but each time your, your house church gathers, each time we come together at, on Sunday, each time you have your small group, you need to expect that not only are we going to draw near to God, but we're going to give hope a people in hopelessness because we're going to remind them that the one who promised is faithful. And then the third thing it says here, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That when you gather, the end result is, man, people are fired up to do what they know they ought to do as Christians, to love and to do that which is right. Last year, we couldn't go on, on mission trips because of uh, pandemic restrictions and, you know, countries weren't letting us in without quarantine, all that stuff. And it made me think, it made me think about um, different mission trips that we go on. Like it, it, in a sense, like in a very strong sense, I felt a sense of loss not going on missions. To a certain degree, I felt a sense of, well, I've got like three weeks in my life back and many more months of, of, of Sundays that we're not meeting for training and stuff like that. Um, but I did feel this sense of loss. Why? Well, I've often had these discussions, and maybe existentially in my heart, I had this, this, this one serious moment. But the, the question often comes up, okay, you're not doing missions this year, and it, wouldn't it be better, anyways, just to take all the money, the 15,000, $10, 10,000 dollars, and just send it to these missionaries so that they could do more with it than you flying out for a week with a group of 10 people, to blow bubbles with kids, to paint Jesus on their faces, to give them paper plates with a Bible verse on it that they make a fan out of or something like that, or build some kind of an edifice? Wouldn't it be better if we just sent the money? And these conversations happen all the time, and the main reason why we go is because Jesus said to go, and so we do, and that ought to be enough. But I remember one time about 10 years ago being in in Ecuador, and after we'd been there for about five days, we're we're back and about to leave for the airport to come back home. And I I, I thought about this. I said, and, and anyone who's been to where we go in the deep jungles of the Amazon know that it sometimes feels like we're spending more time driving to our ministry site than we are doing actual ministry. And so I remember one, one year, just like after a week, I was like, there are not many good stories to come back and tell of the kid who gave his life to Christ who came, and he was like in a gang, and then he committed himself to Jesus. No, no stories like that. It's basically we painted faces. We pulled out weeds. We painted a home. That's kind of what it was. And then one of the leaders said, I want to thank you guys so much for being here, so much for coming. Like, you have no idea what your one-week visit did for us, did for the leaders of our church. We are in Ecuador, a country that is often forgotten and overlooked, a country that is, feels inferior, a country that's lost every war internationally that they've ever been in. Country's infrastructure is so poor. A country, especially in the places where we go, that no one ever goes to. There are no airport well, there are airports, but it would take a hop, skip, and a jump to get over there. Said so you have no idea what your visit did for us. And then they said, Your one week down here gives the leaders of the churches in Ecuador that you encountered strength to serve for the rest of the 51 weeks out of the year. Your one-week trip strengthened them for the 51 weeks that you're not here. For what? Why? How? All we did, we showed up. That's it. We just, we went. And by virtue of being a Christian community, gathering with the Christian community, they found strength that was so much more, just exponentially higher than anything that we gave. One week for 51 weeks of strength. What were we doing? We weren't just painting and playing. and We were planting seeds whose fruit would be not only immediate but long-term, the fruit of love and good deeds and courage poured into the lives of these people. Guys, every time we gather, this is the expectation of Scripture, that when you gather as a people of God, you're going to draw near to God. You're going to fill each other with hope. You're going to pour courage into each other so that the result would be love and good deeds. That's your house church. That's our Sunday mornings. That's your, uh, your accountability groups. That's the group that you meet with in the morning to do devotionals with. That's your small group at SNF. That's large group at SNF. This is what we do, and it's what the world is dying for. In the midst of hard times, so many things are going to pull you away, but in hard times, this is what you need more than anything else, is you need the people of God. You need community. You need to draw near. And God's calling us to that. Man, can you, like, when, when it's laid out in this way, I think, what in the world, like, for, and what is our investment into it? Like, we, we come that's the price. Yeah we, yeah, we pray, we prepare. Like some people do that. Like we come, we show up, and, 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 and that's the blessing. Like how, this is a no-brainer, right? If the cost is like that, but the blessing is like that, like it, it, it's a no-brainer. He should tell us, he shouldn't have to say, let's not give up meeting together, no matter what. If really in hard times we need this more than anything, well, let me, let me take this to the cross for a second. There's actually a greater cost in order that we might have this blessing. It's not the cost that we pay to show up, but it was a price that was paid according to verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. What does that mean? It means in the temple where God would meet with his people, there was a massive curtain from top to bottom that separated the holy of holies, that most holy place where God's presence dwelt with the rest of the temple. And the only one who could go through that curtain, a high priest and only once a year, and he had to be purified of his sins, or he'd be struck down. He says here, what's happening was when Jesus hung on the cross and he breathed his last, it says in Matthew's gospel, it says the curtain in the temple was torn into two. From top to bottom, it's clear from top to bottom. Why? Because we couldn't tear it from the bottom up. It had to be torn from heaven. And when it was torn, access was made so that people like you and me could enter into the most holy place and have fellowship with, we could draw near to God. And once we have a right relationship with God, have fellowship with God, we can then begin to engage in right relationships with one another. We can have hope. We can give hope. We can encourage each other. We can be led to love and good deeds. What's the price of community? Do you see the difference? the, The author of Hebrews is not saying, because the price is so little compared to the benefit, get into community. He's saying no. He's saying because the price was so high. He says because the price was so high, get into community. Jesus paid for us to have this kind of blessing. I moved here in 2001. In 2002, I got a call from my friend in Virginia. He said, hey, D.L., uh, I'm coming down to Florida. I said, why? He said, because uh, my mom's friend is a deacon and is very rich. He lives in New York, and he bought me a car, and it's in Orlando. And he picked up. He said, can you pick me up from the airport and take me to Lexus of Orlando? I said, yeah, I could do that. So I picked him up, drove him. He was a pastor. His mom had a rich Deacon friend who bought him a car from Lexus of Orlando. That's, that's kind of wild. And so we're driving to Lexus, where I was like, "So what kind of car do you have?" He's like, "I have no idea." He just said, "Go to the sales counter and tell him my name." So I was like, "This is exciting. It's like a treasure hunt. So we go, we get to Lexus of Orlando, get to the counter. says, my name is blankety blank and blank, and someone has a car for me. He's like, yeah, I got the key and takes him out. It's this like, Lexus RX 300. It was like this nice, like, SUV. He's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? Like, how old was he at the time? He was like a 30-year-old pastor driving a a Lexus SUV. He eventually sold it and got a Ford Explorer um, because he felt really bad driving that thing. But he got this Lexus. Rx300, like, this is amazing. And he's like, so do I have to pay anything for, like, tax, title, dealer fees? He's like, no, nope, everything has been paid for. Just drive it off the lot. Go on your merry way. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> Does your mom have any other friends that might be? It was crazy. And he drove it off the lot because, well, I mean, the blessing. The benefit was there. It had already been paid for. How crazy would it have been for my friend to say, oh, you know what, no, I No, thank you. Thank you very much. I don't think I want it. It's a little bit too much for me. I'll just, no, DL, just take me back to the airport. That would be crazy. That would be insane. Who would do that? And what Hebrews is saying is hey, Jesus has secured the blessing, the unbelievable blessing of community, of drawing near to God, of hope, of encouragement, of life, of good deeds. Don't leave it on the lot. Don't leave it on the lot. The price has been paid. It's yours. Uh, Live in it. Live in it. Stand in it. Don't give up meeting together. Get into community. Deepen your foundation so you can stand in the storm. Let's pray together. Let's pray for a couple things as we respond, as our praise leaders come back up. Through your community, my friends, God has been holding on to you. And even though there are many times where we've wanted to walk away, hasn't it been through the church? Hasn't it been through your small group, through a leader, through a pastor, through a shepherd, through a house church that you felt God was holding on to you? He would never let go of you, calling you back to himself. Let's take a moment to give thanks to God, thanks to the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid with the price of his blood and his body, so that we could have this blessing. Let's pray giving thanks to God. Second, let's thank God for the community that you have, for the people in your life who have helped you in hard times. And then third, let's pray that God would help us to cherish community, to be willing to not just show up but to invest into it so that others could experience the blessing, the benefits, the hope life together with others the way God called us to live. Let's pray together for a minute like that and then after a minute I'll pray for us and then we'll continue to pray through a song of commitment to the Lord. Let's pray together for a minute. much for this morning's reminder of how much we need people in our lives it's never meant to be a solo venture we're not made to be alone we thank you that you showed us how valuable and how absolutely essential community is because you are a community of yourself father son and holy spirit You showed us how much we need community by sending your one and only, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to live in community with 12, to be betrayed by that community, to die for the sins of that community and for all humanity in order that we might have fellowship with you and community with the saints. Thank you that you have paid such a price because you valued community how important it was, vital to our survival in good times, but then especially in hard times. Many things, tempt, threaten, pull, call, woo us away from community. Pray that you would help us to stand, making a commitment to gathering, not becoming a habitual offender of the Sabbath command, but constantly engaging constantly drawing into the community that we might find the grace that you promise only through the community, special grace that comes through your people that we so desperately need. So help us, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.